Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for listening to the What's Racing About podcast, The Wrap. I'm Peter Bell, and this is the podcast that ensures that you get the most from UK and Irish horse racing. Thanks very much indeed for showing up for this, the second episode of The Wrap. If you listen to episode one, and if you haven't, get back there and listen to it right away now, you'll have understood that what we're about is trying to help the UK and Irish race car get the most from a day at the races. And I can't think of anything that is more important in that mission than in educating the race car or the casual racing fan about the importance that racing places on the welfare of the racehorse. To that end, National Racehorse Week is going to be running in September. So from the 12th to the 19th of this month, National Racehorse Week is going to be bookended by firstly the existing ARC Malton Open Day up in North Yorkshire, and finishing up with the Henry Cecil Open Weekend in Newmarket. Trainers at these establishments are going to be throwing open their doors to the racing public, enabling people to go in, take a look around a working stable, ask questions and basically reassure themselves about the fantastic life and the care and attention that the racehorse gets. During the week, there's going to be other open days around the country as well. I think it's critically important for any race goer to be able to go in and for racing to be able to be open about saying, this is us, this is what racing does for the racehorse. We've got nothing to hide. Come and take a look, ask your questions and we'll give you an honest and straightforward answer. The leading light behind National Racehorse Week is the trainer Richard Phillips. Richard was good enough to give me some of his time and it began by asking him why he thought that National Racehorse Week should exist in the first place. I must admit the reason I got involved in such an idea was that a prominent vet, who's a great friend of mine, said to me, unless you get involved in racing politics, I would um, have thought that National Racing in particular um, is in a bit of trouble because this certain vet is on a few committees and international committees and internationally certainly jump racing doesn't have any representation because very few apart from France really doesn't really have substantial France and Ireland have substantial national racing but nowhere else in the country or the world sorry uh, in Australia it's banned apart from one state uh, not a lot of American um, jump racing is obviously a bit but there's no real representative of it and of course I've, I've loved national racing since I was a child and um, it's one of my greatest loves and it's the love of thousands and thousands of people in Britain and so this guy said you know do you ever go to a National Trainers Federation meeting I said well not really because I've said to Rupert Arnold who's the chief exec I said our committees are not things I really do um <laughs> And I've steered clear from racing politics because I'm quite a political sort of person. I love politics, really, left or right on a lot of subjects, but I'm an observer of politics. And I observed racing politics, we never got involved. But um, because of that conversation I had with this certain vet friend, um, I thought, well, I'd better go to it. He's probably right, I don't really get involved. And, and especially on welfare issue, because this was the welfare issue about national racing. And there are a lot of people there who don't really know anything about it, including other countries that know about the efforts that people make in national racing to make it a safe sport. So I went to a National Trainers Federation meeting and um, I thought to myself, this is all right, nice group of people. And we got the subject of welfare. And there was a nice discussion about welfare. And of course, I, I many people in racing know that um, it's the absolute main concern of our life. All day long, we think about the welfare of racehorses. And it occurred to me that more people should know that we spend a lot of our time, many hours a day, thinking about the welfare of horses as do stable staff of Britain, as do the owners of Britain, as do many people in racing, very concerned about the welfare. 
So I sat the next meeting NTF and was just happened to sit there and we're talking about the welfare again. I said, well, why don't we have you know, National Racehorse Day? You know, we've got a national race, a national day for everything else. Why not have a National Racehorse Day? Let's put a badge on and celebrate the racehorse because we know, everyone around this table at the time knows that we devote our life to it. Most people in racing, I know, are just main concern is the horse. Yes, we care about jockeys. Yes, we care about the people who look after them. But this, we care about trainers. We care, we care about owners. But we care about the horse mainly. And it's quite a divided sport at times. It's like a big family, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of arguments go on. They all want the same thing. We all yes. want it to be a healthy sport. But there's a lot of people there with different views. But the <laughs> one thing we could all agree on is that we love the racehorse. And I thought if we could celebrate that, that'd be great. Another thing that turned me was the fact that I remember reading that Taylor Swift was going to sing at the Melbourne Cup. And I read that rumour had it she wasn't going to because her Twitter followers, who are of a certain generation, thought the Melbourne Cup was cruel. Yeah. Having had, unfortunately, a fair few fatalities in the last 10 years. And I thought to myself, well, that's the start of it. How many other people, young people who... And as, as we know, there's lots of people in racing, owners, um, not necessarily owners, but people in well-known celebrities in the world who love horse racing and realise racehorses have a great life. But, you know, if there's a group of people on Twitter who basically don't really know about the subject, or anti it, then I think possibly racing's in danger unless we face that and go on the front foot. And do you now, think racing is too defensive about and, and not wanting to be hands-on in <clears throat> confronting these sort of attitudes? I think you... I think racing tends to talk to itself a lot. I don't think it really understands all the time what the general public are thinking. There are like political parties, you know, whether it's Labour Party or Conservative Party or Liberal Democrats. They talk to themselves all the time, but they don't really talk to anyone who votes in another way. Um, And I think racing can be a bit like that. And I think that, you know, not everyone knows the result of the 330 (laughs) Utoxeter. And and most people in racing think, well, did you see that finish at the 405? Well, no, and so did 60 million other people not know what you're talking yeah. about. So I think I wanted to go on the front foot. And people first said to me, so what happens if no one turns up on National Racehorse Day? And I said, well, it doesn't matter that much if people don't turn up. What is important that people be invited, we look transparent, and that we're welcome. Welcome to anyone. If you're anti-racing, please come on in. Behave, have a discussion, don't have an argument, but come and see for yourself if you've not seen before. And it's very much based on that style of op- uh, Open Farm Sunday. So the farming community had a problem at one stage with the morality of keeping animals. And Open Farm Sunday developed because it invited the public to go and visit farms. A lot of people are having a view on something they didn't know a lot about. And when families were invited to go and see farms and young children were asked to feed lambs and see how animals and crops, etc. were grown, then suddenly the general public thought, well, actually, this is all quite moral. This is all, I'm quite happy with this. And I think in the same way, I think if the most general public came into a racing yard and saw horses in their environment, they'd be quite happy because you can't kid anyone. You know, they all know and walk in there and go, these horses look pretty happy to me because they trust human beings. Human beings trust them. And in many respects, it's a relationship that should be celebrated, not confronted. So I would like thousands and thousands of people to turn up. But if they don't, it's not the end of the world, as long as we're being transparent and showing the world that all the good things that people do for horses and all the good things horses do for people. And what exactly is National Racehorse Week going to be doing in terms of actual events? There's open days, but you yourself have said that you're a political animal. Are you looking to try and get to actual politicians or influencers via this week as well? Yes, we guarantee to invite every MP in Britain to a racing yard, and that's the intention, certainly, if 
there's a racing yard in their constituency to be invited along. And they might not be able to come along. That's the beauty of National Racehorse Week. It's not just one day. There could be any day during that week that we could invite MPs to come and see a, a business within their constituency, certainly, that employs lots of people and gives lots of people, not any employment, but a huge, enormous enjoyment. And it's something that we should be celebrating in Britain. Britain is very good at horse racing. Yeah. You know, we what anyone says, I know yeah, prize yeah. money might not be at the level we want, but the history of British racing is a success story. We have had some of the greatest horses ever running in this country, and they've been brilliantly trained by brilliant horse people. And Britain's not good at everything. Uh, you only have to watch certain football matches and cricket matches to see that. But when it comes to the horse and its welfare, I think Britain should be proud of how easy or difficult has it been in mobilising other forces that are putting shoulders to wheel behind National Racehorse Week? So the Sir Peter O'Sullivan Trust, Racing Foundation, Great British Racing. How easy was it to get those people on board? Very, because again, I was hoping that this was a, an idea that you could not really be against. How can you not celebrate the racehorse? How can it be anything other than, sorry, an obvious thing to do? Because it's something we could all agree on. So I actually ran the idea past a few people, mentors of mine or friends, with the idea. And they were all very positive. Good idea. Great idea. We should do that. So I happened to be at a, an awards ceremony at Cheltenham and McCoy's. And I sat on the same table as Tom Kerr, a Racing Post editor. I'd never met Tom, but I heard he was a good man. And I just sat next to him at the end of the evening. I said, Tom, I've got an idea. Yeah. So what's that? National Racehorse Day. He said, well, great idea. Would you like to write an article about it? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I wrote an article in the Racing Post. And as soon as I read that article, it seemed to have very good feedback, including off a man called Martin Fuel, who's the communications director of the BHA, who came to see me literally the next day. and said, love your idea. It's very much in, in rhythm with what we, yeah. the BHA want to do, welfare-wise. And can I come have a chat? So we had a chat and a workshop was set up with lots of people from different branches of racing to come together at Newby Racecourse. And it was a really good workshop. And we got all our ideas out there. Uh, discussing how it would work, what time of year, etc., like that. Then COVID came along, and no surprise, we had to put it on the back burner. But as soon as it looked as though COVID was coming to some sort of resolution, again, the BHA were very positive in their approach to try and get it up and running. And, and we approached various funders, or basically co-funders, uh, the Racing Foundation had been brilliant. Sir Peter O'Sullivan Trust had been brilliant. I mean, Sir Peter would have loved the idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was lucky imagine. enough. I was lucky enough to know Sir Peter over decades, and he was very much the voice of racing, a huge supporter of welfare, and one of those people who really did know that the racehorse had a great life and spent much of his life not only commentating on racehorses but looking after their welfare. So this would be absolutely where he'd be, and they are sponsoring what will hopefully be a a fantastic website that will be there for years and yeah. years to come. So the voice <clears> of racing is right there and still making a difference, which is great. And Great British Racing, who, as we know, are there to promote all that is good about Great British, great British Racehorse and the racing community. Uh, they've been handed the baton and they're running with it and they're bringing everyone with them. So it's been a very positive response and there's hardly been, you know, I don't know any negativity at all. I've got to say, have you had any sort of internal pushback from within racing? And what about sort of the, the wider world as well? Have you had any negative reaction from animal aiders of this world? No, but... Uh, I think do you anticipate anything like that? Well, I think I wrote in my article in the Racing Post that, you know, there may well be people who <clears> will come along and try and give another point of view, which should be welcomed. 
because this is about going on the front foot, not the back foot. This is all about saying what we do and and concentrating all the many things that we do to try and make it better for the horse. So there's been lots of progress over the years with making the welfare of a racehorse even better and even better and even better. And there's been massive improvements, but there can always be more. And certainly with inevitably, unfortunately, in racing, there will be fatalities. But an enormous amount of work goes on to reduce that number to the minimum. And I think the public should know that, that there is always ongoing work going on to trying to make sure that the racehorse has the best life possible. Mm. And I think once the general public know that, they will be comfortable. But inevitably, there will be some people who just don't believe that we have a social license to ask racehorses to race. But I think there will be a minority. But if they'd like to come along and see racehorses and try and change their mind, they can try and change my mind, but have a civilised discussion about it. But I think that Open Farm Sunday, there was to start with Open Farm Sunday, there were certain people from certain points of view that tried to make their point but they soon rescinded from that because the public saw this as being a positive when they went yeah. to see these, these farms they could see that they were on the side of all the things farmers were doing to make sure the process of farming was as moral as possible and I think when those who tried to put the other point of view turned up uh, they didn't stay for very long because they realised that was not good publicity for them because the general public are thinking no we don't agree with you we agree that the people who've opened up their farms and showing what they are doing we are on their side and that's what I'm hoping what happens with National Racehorse Week is that people who visit racing yards will see that we're doing everything possible to make sure that racehorse's life is as comfortable and is as welfare orientated as possible and I think once the general public see that they'll be comfortable and ultimately where would you like to see National Racehorse Week going would you like to see Lambourne coming on board well, moving the Lambourne open day would you like to see outreach work going to school say maybe sort of celebrities of which race is very well blessed would you like to see them getting more, much more involved putting their shoulders to the wheel behind Racehorse Week very much so but I think this will be something that will hopefully develop so I'm hoping National Racehorse Week will be here for a long time and I think celebrating the racehorse is something that we should always continue to do while they're racehorses let's celebrate them because they give an enormous pleasure to people people give enormous pleasure to racehorses and I think that should be something that should be celebrated every year at some stage but it's fantastic that Epsom and Malton are opening on the 12th it's fantastic that the end of the week will be Henry Cecil open weekend at Newmarket and Midland those are fantastic days and have been up and running for a while and have been great success stories and raise money for some great causes what we're aiming for is to put even the icing on the cake if you like is to on the 12th of September get many regional racing yards open as possible you know there's 500 yards i think in britain but if 10 to 20 percent could open regionally that would be fantastic so that if there was somewhere if you live wales scotland england wherever that hopefully not too far away if you so wish you can go and see a racehorse in its environment don't expect the red arrows to fly across or anything like that or or a fun fair what you're just seeing is a working business but that business is basically looking after racehorses to the highest standard which Britain's brilliant at. And if people are interested in it, I think they would be, because there's lots of analogies of a racing yard to other things in life. Schools, for instance. You know, I'm basically the headmaster of a prep school. The people who work here, the teachers, the owners of the parents, the horses of the pupils. And unless everyone does their job properly, the children don't pass their exams and the horses don't win their races. So I think, explained to the public like that, they realise that it's in everyone's interest. These, these horses have a great life. I think, interestingly... Although National Racehorse Week basically talking about the welfare of horses in training, the general public want to know from cradle to grave 
is this a life well lived? So I'm hoping over a period of time, studs will be able to show exactly what they do. And, you know, again, you know, I have great friends in that world. I've never actually worked in the breeding industry, but I've got friends who obviously do. And um, again, from being from birth, these horses have a great life and are surrounded by professionals who do a brilliant job, rather like children going to a decent school. They get proper, proper education and they're happy and they're healthy. And then they go into training, have a great life. And when they come out of training, it's the, quite a big issue, I think, the public. What happens to racehorses once their racing days are over? And I think we've got to get that across. And National Racehorse Week has an opportunity to really show all the amazing things that racehorses do for people and what people do for racehorses. And even if you're not that keen on horse racing, but when you see what racing does for others, they'll be very happy. I think you're right. I think when I go racing, I mean, I'm an aficionado and, and I'm passionate about it. Oftentimes, the people I go with aren't necessarily, that, you know, that it's, it's a good day out and they get dressed up and they have a bet. And, and so yeah. when they do think about it and look at things in a little bit more depth, the two things which always come up from the casual race car are, one is always the use of a whip. Is it cruel? Why do, they, why do we need whips in the first place anyway? And then you, you touched upon this is, well, what happens to the, the racehorse when when it retires how, how would you address those those two issues well um i think it's very important that you in life that you can see both sides to a story and i think that's being reasonable and when it comes to both issues both the the stick cushion whip as it is now and when it comes to what happens on the retirement that you make it clear that there's many people with different views when it comes to retirement racehorses let's start with that one there's so many people who do so many great things with racehorses and retraining of racehorses first developed because very unfortunately a horse called Hallow Dandy who won the first Grand National I ever attended I think 1984 was found um, in not a very good state many years later and racing vowed that this should never happen again and that I believe is how this charity began retraining racehorses and it's done enormous work over years and years and years to make sure that there is that ability that if you do find a horse that needs homing or rehoming there is somewhere to go to be advised and also if if it needs a safety net it's there money is there to make sure that the welfare of any racehorse that should be perceived as being vulnerable is there to help it and everyone in racing supports that everyone believes that that is the right thing to do to make sure that none of these great horses that do so much for us ever get in that sort of situation and it very rarely happens because there is this great safety net but some horses just don't need that safety net because most racehorses make great riding horses because they do all sorts of things you know they can be ready home you know to a high standard of whether it's show jumping or three day eventing one day eventing or dressage or hacking or all these horses racehorses very amenable because they've had a they've got good temperaments as long as you know like as long as they're looked after properly and as much as they've got a way of expressing their energy so yeah. if they're turned out on a, not on their racehorse food but on a certain different diets and a bit of grass in their belly yeah. they are very trusting of humans and they've got very good temper last time i was kicked was by a shetland pony <laughs> shetland ponies not necessarily have that have that great um, yeah, that great character um, there's a reason why they probably do that but um, but racehorses on the whole in my experience are, are very good characters and are, and can be quite easily rehomed on most occasions and at the moment there's a great demand for them luckily so I think the public need to know that all the wonderful things that they go on to do and there's many 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 examples so National Racehorse Week is an opportunity to show that and I hope as National Racehorse Week develops 
there may be some way of the public being able to, to see that more and more. Uh, because I think the public are worried about that. And I think we need to reassure them that, yeah, there is the odd occasion when a horse just simply can't be rehomed. And like any pet, sometimes the, the right thing to do is to euthanize it. But that's a rarity. Most horses do have a great life after yeah. they, they've raced. And I think the public need to know that and should be shown that. When it comes to the cushion stick, it's... It should be pointed out there is a present, a group within racing discussing this. There is a way forward on this. And there's lots of very good people in the racing world, all different sorts of views. And there's a consultation on the whip right now going in place. And they're meeting up every few weeks to discuss the situation, whether it's trainers, jockeys, breeders, people from all parts, journalists, all parts of the racing world got together and having a consultation on the whip. So racing's taking it very seriously. Personally, um, I think a whip should be carried by a rider. I think it's dangerous for the rider and the horse, more importantly, if you do not carry it. And that doesn't mean to say you use it behind the saddle, but certainly I think you should carry it. I think the whip is, or the stick or whatever, a rider, a professional rider knows that whatever you're doing, whether it's dressage or, or hacking, it's probably safer sometimes to carry a stick than not, because there are occasions as a rider, you need to do something yeah. that involves that. Yeah. And, and racing should stand up firm on that one. I think the issue is whether or not the whip should be altered from the hammer in times it's used behind the saddle, if at all. And that, I think, well, the whip consultation will be doing. And there'll be many views, and I think we should leave it to them to come up with what they think is the right answer. I understand everyone's point of view here, uh, but I also understand the public probably will never be happy if a horse is hit behind the saddle. And I understand that, and many of us in racing do. But there are other views, and there's a view that, you know, if you get rid of the stick that's the beginning of the end and you get rid of racing i think if you go on the front foot on this and explain to the public what you're doing and you're being very responsible about this subject then i think they'll accept it you know that bit in the film this is spinal tap right at the very beginning where the filmmaker marty de Berge is introducing the film and he sets out by saying he wanted to capture the sights and the sounds and the smells of a hard-working rock band on the road and he got that and he got more, a lot more. That was how it panned out with myself and Richard. As I'm sure you've gathered, we went into some depth on National Racehorse Week, why it needed to exist, what it involves, why Richard put his shoulders to the wheel in getting behind it. But he kept the microphone rolling and we touched on a variety of other areas and I thought it was worthwhile putting those on this version of the rap. Take a listen to what he has to say about some of the more controversial aspects of horse racing. It's really interesting stuff. Well, I realise I now stray onto stonier ground, but what are your thoughts or, or how do you react on a sort of gut level when you see issues surrounding somebody like Bob Baffert in America, Camel Mardi being potentially reintroduced into UK and how, how do you react when confronted with negative publicity like that? I've only worked in Britain, so I can't comment on international racing. And it would be ignorant of me to do it because I just simply don't know. And it's up to American jurisdiction to do whatever they do there. Um, and Ireland, I believe, is certainly trying to tighten up what they do there because uh, there has been a discussion in Ireland recently about the level of testing. All I know is about Britain, and I know that... Um, there was a complaint from racehorse trainers in Britain that the rules are so tight we can't even put a piece of a savlon on a horse's cut on the day of the race there are so many rules now and I think again it's an opportunity for the, the racehorse community to express to the general public do you, you realise these horses get tested very regularly and in other sports there's people who say that you know they're ahead of the testing community I don't know about that all I know 
is that the rules are very strict and it's a very clean sport in Britain. And <clears throat> the BHA have certainly done all they can to make sure that it looks and feels a clean sport. Anything a, a racehorse has is written down. Anytime a vet is ever in a racing yard, everything's written down and everything's recorded. And yes, the welfare of horses is put first. And yes, horses do get given drugs, but as a human being would if they had an injury, but not in other ways. So of course, there have been examples over the decades of, 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 of horses failing drug tests, but the drug testing now is so, so complete as it were. It's, it's, it picks up literally anything. <laughs> I think the British public should know that British racing is pretty clean. So at that point, our conversation finished. I think it was a really good final takeaway point that listeners can focus in on. That racing is essentially a clean sport. I firmly believe that too. You can't build a multi-million pound industry, which is what racing is, if you factor in the breeding operations, betting, as well as the actual racing itself. You can't build an industry of that magnitude on something that is fundamentally corrupt. As a postscript to all of what we've just been through, I'd just like to highlight something fundamental about racing. I'm just some slob with a microphone, a lot of attitude, and trying to make a bit of difference with what I'm doing with this particular podcast. Richard Phillips didn't know me from Adam. I emailed him and said that I'd like to interview him and get behind National Racehorse Week, his innovation. And Richard got back to me really quickly and uh, said, yeah, come along. I'm happy to sit down with you. And he gave me a good couple of hours of his time and went through the interviews you've heard, showed me around his stables, and uh, we swapped a few nice, interesting stories, which is pretty much what I live for when it comes to horse racing. Getting the inside track on the world of racing and listening to what makes people right at the centre of this sport tick. This isn't to blow sunshine up Richard Phillips, far from it. It's merely to underline the point that racing is, by and large, a really approachable industry. You walk up to somebody on a race course or anybody that's involved in racing, stick your hand out and go, I'm Pete, I've got a few short questions that I'd like to ask you or there's a few fundamental things that I don't understand. Chances are that you are going to get a positive reaction to that and you'll find people in racing that will bend over backwards to help you understand more about the sport. I hope you find that that is the case as you journey through the world of racing with the wrap. But for now, that's episode two wrapped up. Thanks for showing up and we look forward to speaking to you again in the not too distant future.